If you have your Bible, we're in uh, the book of Genesis, chapter 45, The Great Unveiling. I love this chapter because this is where finally Joseph reveals to his brother, his brothers, who he really is. You know, up to this time, he's spoken to them uh, through an interpreter speaking Egyptian, and then the interpreter would then speak to them uh, in, in Hebrew. Uh, it, it's kind of an interesting story here because with all of the garb that that Joseph had on, all the Egyptian stuff, they didn't recognize their own brother. As they'd sold him into slavery some 13, 15 years earlier, now we find Joseph, after he's played games with them, put money back in their sacks as this great famine came upon the whole area and only Egypt had food because of a dream that Joseph had interpreted that Pharaoh had. And so now they've all come down to get grain. He's, he's messing with them. He recognizes who they are. And this is where we find the story this morning as finally Joseph can no longer restrain himself And he wants to tell his brothers who he really is. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we thank you for this particular chapter in the Bible. Because it is the great revealing of who Joseph is. And God, someday that great day of revealing who you are to the world. And so we recognize, God, that your hand is always in our lives. And these words give us understanding into the very things that happen to us every day. And so now as we read, may your Holy Spirit cause us to remember these things. In Jesus' name, amen. We remember again his brothers come before him. They lay out before him, just as Joseph dreamed, that made the brothers so angry many years before. Well, we'll never bow down to you, Joseph. Well, sure, just as the dream played out, they all did, as they come begging these Egyptian officials for food. They didn't know it was their brother. But God has an amazing way of doing things in spite of people. Now, one of the things that I think is so important as we look at this chapter is this. There are people that deliberately try to do things to hurt you, whether it be at work, maybe it be in your family, it might be at your school. There are deliberate people that, that try to hurt you. But you are a child of God, and remember, God is bigger than their devious plans against you. The second thing we want to remember is God is bigger than the things that we have done wrong. Many people have even said in this story, well, Joseph should have never told his brothers that they were going to bow down to him someday because that would have created the jealousy that eventually caused the brothers to first want to kill him. But instead of that, they sold him into slavery, going down to Egypt where he was bought in Egyptian slave market by Potiphar, And ended up there. So when we look at this, we sometimes have to realize a couple of things. The reason these things are written in the Bible is so we will understand how big our God really is. Oftentimes we think, well, God, where were you when these things happened to my life? Somebody mentioned uh, in a commentary that, 
years ago that was written, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? Well, I'd like to write a book, Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? Because when you really look at it, they're not deserving of it. But why does good things happen to bad people? Well, there's a lot of reasons why. But when you're a child of God, know this, your hand is in his purpose. That's one of the great things. And again, I've shared this so many times. It isn't just eternal life in the sweet by and by, but it's God's eternal plan for you right now, the minute, the second you decide to accept Christ as your Savior. You change from death unto life. You go from meaninglessness to God's divine plan purpose. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out and made everyone go from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. I, as I shared last week, I believe this probably terrified the brothers even more because here is this uh, second in command over the entire nation of Egypt. Um, and they were just caught, the brothers were just caught with a silver flat, a, a, a cup in Benjamin's sack of grain. And he goes, what is this? You repay me evil for good and and everything like that. And I just see them realizing we're going to be executed. They had no idea. So when he cries out, I could just see the rest of them going, oh no, this declaration of death is going to be so bad. He's taking everybody else out in the room. So he told everybody to leave. And he wept aloud and the Egyptians And the house of Pharaoh heard it. Now, by the way, just to let you know, his brothers were basically shepherds. They didn't have a lot of stuff. They didn't have the niceties of life. They spent their life in the wilderness living in tents. And this was a hard, rough life. Now they come to this Pharaoh, this Joseph's house. They didn't know it was Joseph. And here's this palace that he's living in. These people, this was a refined, the most refined city in the day. If there was a nicety on earth, it would be found in Egypt. And so they're living in tents. Joseph's living in a palace. And so as all this is going on, Joseph, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his younger brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Now, this actually means they were absolutely terrified. They had no idea what was about to happen. Now, I got to tell you, as I look at this, you realize people make their plans against you, but God still is God. God is on the throne. And I don't care what problem there is before you right now in your life, you've got a God in heaven. If, if, if you're a Christian, if, as Jesus said, you abide in me and I in you, God's plan is active in your life. And God's plan is far greater than just doldrum daily existence. God is working his plan 
through your life to accomplish his purpose. And so verse 4, it says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near me. Now, I imagine that when Joseph said, I'm your brother, they all took a big step back and went, <gasps> And he goes, No, come towards me. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me here before you to preserve life. Now, this is a weird thing that he's saying. He's going, you sold me into slavery, but it is God who sent me here. Wow, do you catch that? This is what is so absolutely dangerous with the positive confession movement. Because you're telling God what to do rather than letting God play his hand out in our lives. Friends, God's got a bigger plan for you than you can ask or think. I remember hearing that years ago when I was a young Christian and going to church and I, I, I'd sit there going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's easy for you to say. But it's true. And not only have I seen it in my own life, I've seen it in the lives of people that I know who walk and live in Christ. It is a bad thing when we're in Christ and we rebel against that call of God in our life, that we don't want to do what God wants us to do, then God's plan is not then done in our life because we stifle it. That doesn't mean God doesn't want to pick it back up and get back on the program. But the thing is, I know that if I'm wandering around out in left field, I will not be running around the bases where God wants me to score the run. That's why the Bible says to abide in Christ. How do we do that? Well, the Bible tells us, draw close to me, I'll draw close to you. How do we do that? It's called prayer. Now, prayer isn't always there, you know, with your hands clenched and your eyes tightly shut, telling God a lot of things that he already knows. But really, it's just going, God, I am here. What do you want me to do for you today? And God in his great love begins to unroll, uh, unveil and, uh, and roll out those things that he wants for us to do. You see, this is where the miracles of God and this is where the power of God is in our daily lives as Christians. I am not just the person who wants to preach to you eternal life. Because that's important, friends. That affects you for eternity. But that God's purpose for you today is to lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. So when we have this eternal existence with God, you will be rewarded because you spent your time in the right place. Misguided energy is probably one of the worst things any of us can do. So prayer, what that does is be still, God says, and know that I am God. So saying, okay, God, here I am. What do you want me to do for you and your kingdom? Open the doors 
according to your will and close the doors according to your wills. And you'll be amazed what God will do in a daily, daily relationship with him to bring you about where he wants you to be. You thought you sent me into slavery, but God sent me here to preserve life. I think that's, friends, so amazing. They thought they were being mean to Joseph, the very thing that was needed for this to happen to survive the famine. Verse 6, for these two years, the famine has been in the land. And yet there is still five more years, which the famine will neither be plowing nor harvesting. He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're down here begging for food because you ran out. It's going to last another five years. So he says, God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not that you sent me here, but God. Friends, if, if there's one thing that if we could get anything out of this and you could circle this in your mind to remember this forever, it's, it's not what you did, it's what God did. God is bigger than what anyone tries to do to you. And where they will dedicate their lives almost in trying to destroy you, God says, can't go for that. I'm not done with you. I'm going to see you through. And I'm going to amaze everyone because everyone's going to know that it was me that did it and not you. I like that about God. Not only does God direct our footprints and our paths, but he also gets the glory because people look and say, well, he's too dumb for God to use. And look at the success he's had. That's exactly what God does. You look, in fact, the Bible says in the New Testament concerning the disciples, they knew that they were unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. And they dazzled them with the wisdom that God had given them. You see, it's not who you are, it's who you hang with. And the Bible tells us when you spend your time with the Lord, when you spend your time with God, that wisdom that comes out of God's word will go into you and help you and sustain you when you're challenged with the decisions of nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms. Well, let me share this with you. You may feel that way some days. You may feel that everything's against you. By the way, as we look at this story here, Jacob said earlier, back, if you go back a few chapters, he says, everything is against me. Everything's against me. Well, you know, it's funny because God's plan is still going. And even though he felt that way, nothing was farther from the truth. You see, there's a couple problems here. One, our perspective of what's going on is not always true, and our perspective of God isn't always right. God, if you love me, why am I in this mess? God, if you love me, why did you let this happen to me? God says, you ain't seen the whole picture yet. 
Now, second of all, I don't believe that if God was to reveal to us what the whole picture was, we'd believe him anyway. Because I think a lot of times we think God could never do that and God would never use me. That's who God uses. That's who he likes. I like that about God. You say, but what I want him to do is impossible. Nothing is impossible to those who believe. And when it's in his will, God does that. So again, they thought that they were doing this to Joseph, but in fact, they were actually carrying out the plan of God. Verse 8 again. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house, ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hasten, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not waste any time. Do not tarry. And you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. Well, I'll tell you, friends, God's got that big overall insight of what's going on. You know, I think a lot of times when you pray, you do things you don't even know why you do them. Because you don't know if God may be preparing you or those that you love to take care of them in the days to come. I believe this is what being sensitive to the Holy Spirit is. And I believe this is where being a family of God, and we are, we, we watch out for one another. We take, one, take care of one another. I believe this is why it's so important to do these things. And so he goes on and he says, And behold, your eyes... And the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. Now, the reason this is a weird verse. See, it's my mouth that speaks to you. He switched from speaking through an interpreter in Egyptian to go into Hebrew. Now, once everybody was out of the room, he just started talking to him from his mouth in Hebrew. I imagine these guys were so spazzed out, they had no idea what was really going on. But you know, that's the way God is. God blows us away with the things he does. I have not seen nor hear heard what God has recorded and prepared for those that love him. And we always say, oh yes, heaven's going to be great. No, 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 friends. I believe that verse is for now as well. What God has prepared for those that love him. Those blessings that go beyond description. God's a good God. God doesn't have favorites. And as I look through the entirety of the Bible, what he did for Joseph and what he did for Jacob and what he did for King David and what he did for the rest, he'll do for you. You see, this is why we read the Bible. And so he says, So tell my father, all the glory of Egypt and of all the things that you have seen and you shall hasten and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother's Benjamin's neck and wept 
and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers. Now, friends, this is uh, a real important part of Christianity. He, he, he hugged all of his brothers. No, notice it just said, and he hugged most of his brothers except the ones that sold him into slavery. He, he loved all of his brothers. And, and, and see, because he recognized God's hand superseding their stupidity. Friends, that's a big thing. That's a major growth. That's a major growth in Christianity. I think I fixed it. But that's a major thing. It's easy to love those that love you. Jesus said, what reward do you think you get of that? He said, you love your enemies. Why? Because when you realize your enemies, as Joseph's brothers were to him, it did not come to anything. You see, God actually used their devious plan to carry out his plan, which was much bigger and so mind-blowing to his brothers, they would have never believed it. In fact, they had a hard time doing it. They stepped back. So he says, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. I imagine there was a lot to catch up on all the things that had happened over the years. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, load up the truck and move to Beverly. No, that's not what it says. Say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and depart. Go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your, ho- and your households and come to me, for I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now, remember, friends, this is right in the middle of probably one of the world's worst famines. It didn't affect those that love God. Now, you are commanded to do this. Take carts out of the land of the Egypt And for your little ones, for your wives, your fathers, and come. What he's saying is, I want you to go down and go down to the U-Haul company here in in Cairo. And I want you to get all these moving vans. And we're going to follow you back to the land of Canaan. And we're going to load you up and then bring you back down here. That's what the carts are all about. In fact, we're going to find more of this description as we get a little farther down. But even though they were going down, he still wanted to load them up with some good stuff. Because, you know, they had to be ready for the journey. He also had to demonstrate to his father that everything that his brothers are saying is true. So it says, now you're commanded, do this. Take the carts out of the land of Egypt. Also, verse 20, do not be concerned about your goods For all the best of the land of Egypt is yours. In other words, what he's saying, if you can't move at all, that's all right. We got better stuff down here anyway. Have you ever noticed that? You know, I'm really amazed what we save. Have you ever noticed that? I'm a hoarder. I I admit it. It's bad. I'm going to Hoarders Anonymous. 
one of the first things you have to do is you have to go in and clean out your wallet and all those kinds of things. No, it's really weird what we save. You know, it's like, it's like the storage units. I don't know how many people you see them. They're, they're actually making more and more of them because we got too much stuff. And they have these storage units everywhere. And you pay like $75, $100, $200 a month for different sizes for them. And you put your stuff in there. Well, here's what is so weird. You figure, if you, let's just say you paid $100 a month for a storage unit, or even $75 a month for a storage unit, 80 something like that. Over a period of a year, that's $1,000. Amen? Is what you're storing worth $1,000? Most of the time, and you know, they have those, those TV programs and they say that they're made up a lot of it. And I believe that's probably true where they auction off a, a storage unit and they cut the lock off and you open it up and, you know, here's stuff in there. But what's weird is that for most of the part, and I've talked to people that ran these things here in town, and he says most of the thing is anything in the storage unit after two years, they could have went out and bought brand new several times over. What they're storing is not worth the storage fee. This is what Joseph is telling his brothers. If you can't move it, leave it. Come, it's better here anyway. And so he says, Don't be concerned about your goods in verse 20. Verse 21, then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts and U-Hauls, and literally, that's what they were, carts according to the commandment of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. And he gave all of them into each man a change of garments, But to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things. Ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt. Ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, food for his father and and his journey. And so he sent his brothers away and they departed. And they said to him, see, you do not come become troubled among yourselves along the way. He said, now listen, as you travel, and Joseph was a wise man. He says, as you're traveling along, don't start fighting with each other. Because I could, you could just probably see that. Well, you're the one that sold him into slavery. Well, I didn't want to sell him. I didn't want to kill him. Yeah, but you did want to kill him. He said, don't fight among yourselves. You know what that tells me? Let the past be in the past. Do you know your past will paralyze you from moving forward? And this is what Joseph was warning his brothers about. Let the past say in the past. I've shared this many times. We had a psychologist came to our church years ago. He moved away. But he told me, he said, if I could get my clientele to forgive their past, 90% of my patients would go away. But they can't. Do you know why you can't forget your past? It's become part of you. It's become part of you. The scars that your past has inflicted upon you have made some pretty deep ruts into your heart. And that's where the problem lies. Now, You can try to say they don't exist. But the problem is the deep gouge is there. 
But there is one who specializes in healing hearts and your past, and that's Jesus. And remember, it always goes back to him, the author and finisher of our faith. And again, I believe that's one of the key things in communion is the bread because Peter said, by his stripes, we're healed. You need to be healed. You need those deep, jagged rips in your heart healed. You do. Because you'll carry it if you don't. And it will affect your decision-making in the future if you can't reconcile it. He looks at his brothers and says, don't fight among yourselves on the way home. Because you can just see it was going to be, and I know Joseph probably said, this is going to be the blame game. And these guys are end up going to want to be killing each other by the time they get back to dad's house. Was well, your fault. It was your fault. It was your fault. Because we like the blame game. Because I don't want to deal with the big, deep, Cuts in my heart, it's easier just to tell somebody else, it's your fault. He said, don't fight amongst yourself on the way home. What's over is over. You know, a lot of families could be restored if they would just remember that. It's in the past. Nothing you can do about it. You know, it's one of the things whenever I do a memorial service, a funeral service, I go, you know, there's no guarantee we all won't be back in this room in a week. And it might be one of you in the box this time instead of Uncle Fred. And so many people, they only come together in that room because of somebody that died. But as soon as the service is over, they're not going to talk to each other again for another 10 years. Why is that? Well, they did something to me years ago and I ain't forgiving them and I ain't going to forgive them. And you hold that bitterness. And you know what? It doesn't hurt that other person at all. What it's doing is it's destroying you. When you look back as a Christian, look at the cross. For this reason, Christ died. You look forward, you see a risen Savior. And you look right now, you see a person redeemed by him. So important because if we don't, it will mess us up. And then we want to find people who are messed up like we are so we can all go cry in our beers together. They do that to you, I did that to me too. What a terrible way to live. Living in reverse. He said, when you're way home, don't fight about it. It's over. God did what God wanted it. To have it happen. See that you do not become troubled along the way. In the Hebrew, it indicates don't be chiding with each other. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And they went, uh, came up out of the land of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to, their, to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. I imagine this probably was the best day in Joseph's life, or Jacob's life, to find out that his son, that he had been told by his brothers that had lied to him for decades, is now alive. He said, Joseph is alive. And he's the governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart 
stood still because he did not believe them. Because <laughs> his brothers were always lying to him anyway. <laughs> so I go, yeah, here's just another one. He didn't believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, was revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive, and I will go see him before I die. I like that. He went from a person a couple chapters back that's saying, everything's against me. Now he's saying, I've got enough. Wow, what a change. But we can't leave it here, can we? We might as well do another real quick verse here. So Israel took his journey, that'd be Jacob, and all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of the father, uh, to God his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel and said in the visions of the night, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here am I. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. What he means is that Joseph will actually see you die. He's going to close your eyes. That's, that's a Hebrew terminology there. And Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob with their little ones and their wives in their carts with Pharaoh that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. And so they took their livestock, their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him. Wow. They loaded up the truck and they were gone. Now, Beersheba was the furthest most part of the promised land uh, to the south before they actually went into the territory of Egypt. And that's where he offered up a sacrifice. Now, the reason maybe he was scared, because if you go back, I believe it's chapter 13 or 15, it says that you're going to go into slavery for 400 years. I could see him understanding why that would be a bad thing. But also, he said, don't fear going down. Now, this was also another thing, warning, don't go back to Egypt from his father, uh, Abraham. So understanding this, this is why I think God had to comfort him in saying, this is what I want you to do now. Now, again, he loads everything up, they get down there, and this is where they're at. God has a way of providing for you. God does not want you looking back at the past, going, woe is me, question in point as a Christian today. Is God bigger than the things that are wrong the way we view it right now? Is God bigger than the things that we think are wrong in our life today? Yes or no? Well, yeah, I believe that. Then hold on to your car keys because you're in for a ride because God will change the circumstances in your life. He just does. I don't know how he does it. What the devil intended for your destruction, God says, watch this. 
and he fixes it. You got a daddy in heaven that loves you, that fixes things. Isn't that good news? You got a dad in heaven that can fix things. Man, I'll tell you, some of you, maybe you didn't know your dad. Maybe your dad couldn't do things. But you got a dad in heaven that loves you and will fix things. And you say, well, God, if you love me so much, why am I in the pain and the sorrow that I'm in? God says, it ain't over yet. Now, this is where faith comes in. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, but not yet seen, not yet tangible. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you in this. And as we invoke on this life of faith as a Christian, just as Joseph did as a life of a godly man, God put him where he wanted him to be. Friends, I believe we're coming into times a famine. Maybe not so much for food, though I think that's a possibility. But I think to find truth, there's going to be a famine. I think for sometimes resources, there's going to be a famine. I think for true, real friendship, I think it's going to be a famine. Because most people's friends are good time, fair weather friends. I love you when you give me what I want. When you don't give me what I want, I'll go find somebody else. God has provided in you hope for others. I like that. Never forget who you are in him because he's the author, the finisher of your faith. And because of that, when you look at this story, you see how his brothers intended it for his harm. God made it for his good and not only his good, but the good of people around him. Remember, what God endeavors to do in your life, in my life, isn't just so I will go, I'm so happy. Though I like that. You'll find in your life that God does that to bless people around you. The blessing of Joseph being sold into slavery, friends, and then being elevated. Oh, that was a happy day when he went from prison to prime minister. That was great. But that wasn't the end of what God was doing. Because we become centralistic, we become self-focused, and say, oh, well, this is all because of me, or this is all about me. No, God's saying, I'm going to put you in a position to bless others. That's what God does. So, the position that you're in right now, I don't know what part of the life of Joseph you relate with. But I guarantee you, you will, if you're in Christ, be a blessing to others because that's what God does. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to consider something real fast. What do you live in your life for? Well, you know, I just get up, you know, I do my thing, go to bed, pray there ain't no heaven, pray there ain't no hell. I'm, you know, one of those kind of dudes. What a meaningless life. Plus, you're carrying all the deep scars, cuts in your heart over the years. No way to get rid of it. Well, no, man, I got my bong, you know. I got a couple six-packs, you know. and You know, it takes the edge off, you know. Well, imagine a God that would actually come in your life and take those things away. Take those deep cuts out of your life or cause you to see those cuts in a different light. 
you might find, as it was in Joseph's life, those things were all necessary to get him where he was. Friends, this morning, if you're a Christian, great is your reward. If you're not a Christian, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? The Bible says we need to repent from the foolish way we live and say, okay, God, from now on, do with me what you want to do with me. And you know what the Bible says? He will. He'll take you at your word. All you got to do is say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Jesus died on the cross. He put an end to those things in the past that will paralyze me. And by the way, the devil will try to throw those things at you. And you want to go and, and you want to say, okay, God, I'm going, what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you make me a new creature. And the Bible says he will. But he waits for your permission. And so that's what we do when we pray at the end of the service. We give God permission for those that have never received him as Savior. Give God permission to come in and start his wonderful overhaul in your life. Not only do you get everlasting life, but you get a life worth living here and a life that will mean something in eternity because you're going to be rewarded for it. That's good. Why would you want to do anything else? I can't figure out why anybody would want to do anything else. I look for good investments in my life. That's one of the best ones I know. Trade away something that you can't keep for something you'll never lose. That's good. If you've never prayed and asked Christ in your life, let's pray. I want you to get right with God and let God do what he wants to do. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I'm sorry for the foolish way that I have lived. And from this day forward, I want to be your child. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And so now, put his life into me. That I will live for you each and every day. Help me to ask you every day what you want me to do for you. And guide my life now. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to love those that are unlovable. And God, most of all, help me to love you more. And thank you for eternal life. That I can spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen.